Yes, I understand. It must have been terrifying. So many unexplainable things have happened here. Episode 12. Here we are. Episode 12 with our principal, Mr. Adam Lee. The one and only Mr. Adam Lee. Have you, okay, you don't have Spotify. Okay, I would recommend people get Spotify just for the fact uh, to listen to Michelle Obama's podcast. Like, it's, it's only on Spotify? Yeah. Um, like, exclusive deal, I think, with Spotify. Okay. And, like, she's had two, she has three episodes out. Her third one came out yesterday, so I haven't listened to it. But the first two, it's just, like, it's real. I think I like it so much um, because it's so similar to what you and I are doing. Like, she's just sitting down with friends and having these conversations and talking about, like, what's going on and just how they're feeling. And um, it sounds so similar to what we're doing, just Michelle Obama. And she echoes some of the things that we've said and more things. And so I sit there and I just start thinking, like, oh, my gosh, wow. Like, what you and I are feeling is so real and that so many people are feeling it mm-hmm. and she talks about how she's felt this like minor pings of depression like through the pandemic because she just feels like tired and overwhelmed and um she starts to touch on like how the field of education and I wrote it down because I thought it was so good and she said um schools don't show you the world they just show you a bunch of careers so she was talking about how schools don't really help and prepare kids for the world that they're stepping into. It's just prepping kids for a job so they can fit a role in the world that they're stepping into. Mm -hmm. Um, And she talks about how she grew up in like in Chicago, the inner city, and she was poor. And then when she started doing really well, she um, was talking about how she like joined a wine club. And she's like, I just had all of this wine. And she's like, I didn't even really enjoy the wine club. I was just doing it because I thought that that's what I had to do now that I had in quotes, like made it like because Mm. people with money did, and this is how I'm supposed to act. So those were two things I wrote down that I like have on a post-it note, just as thought of all of those thoughts that she shared. So it's really well done. So if anyone has Spotify, highly recommend. Yeah. I'll have to listen to that. That is, those feelings are universal. Like Mm -hmm. uh, for the most part, again, if you've been like submerging yourself into any sort of care, whether it's for black lives matter or the pandemic. Right. Yeah, in the episode, even um, Mr. Lee talks about, you know, his hopes for the field of education and um, allowing students to diversify, I guess, their learning and being able to pick what interests them and um, how teachers can support students, but supporting students, not just by having the conversations, but by being honest about 
who you are and the background in which you come from. Um, and I feel like we have talked about that on the podcast before, but I think I just really liked the way he said it and that way of being, you have to be upfront and honest with the students and saying, this is who I am. This is my background. And so I can listen and to your situation, but I can never fully understand your situation. And I think for a lot of people who are nervous to have these conversations, it's because they think that they have to say, I understand, or I can relate when really you just have to listen. Yeah. Cause most of the time that's all anyone really wants. It's just a, le- a lending ear. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he also gives really good advice for new teachers towards the end there. Like he said, he could have gone on forever about it, but it was really solid advice. I think you and I have talked about like, you can have all the resources in the world, but if you can't deliver that information to a classroom, that's going to listen to you, then it doesn't really matter. Like, because they're not that great material, like is a wash if you can't, get the kids to right and you have to make be sure on board with you right and you have to make sure it is actually great material so you can have like I think what's so hard about being a new teacher now especially is you fall into that teacher gram world and you see all of these pretty nice looking things that people and other teachers are creating so you will spend all this time creating it but your material and your content isn't really that strong or that great and your students don't want to learn it they don't want to listen to you so I think that was that definitely was great advice was you know my first year I had like these sad looking little powerpoints and these notes but I was so focused on my classroom management and my relationship building and the content like okay let's learn this history and sure now I, you know, I'm trying to move away from the PowerPoint lecturing format, but that's what I felt I needed to do, get where I am today and saying, okay, you know, we would talk, I would talk to Mr. Lee about this organized chaos. Like, okay, well now you're going to work in this group, but then you're moving to that group. And now I feel more comfortable doing that because I know I can control a situation if it was to get out of hand. Um, because yeah. I know myself and I know my classroom management and I don't start with the stations or the moving around, but I know how to read the room and when to get there. Right. Like you, you can't just jump into station work where you're letting kids go out into the hallway. Like I just started doing that last year and I, and I didn't do it with all of my classes, like where they were going out into the hallway and answering questions that I posted. Um, and also maybe this year, like I won't, well, this year I definitely won't do it, but it changes by year. Like mm-hmm. every classroom, every year is different. So you also have to adapt and learn And I think he mentions that as well. Like when he talks about who he's looking for when he hires, like not somebody who's a know-it-all, but somebody who's going to constantly be a learner. Like you are a constant learner. Okay, so today, big episode. It's episode 12. We have with us the one and only Mr. Lee, our principal at Overbrook. So Alexis and I's head principal at Overbrook. Um, So Mr. Lee, if you just want to introduce yourself, Big day today, huge day. Now, um, I'm, I'm Adam Lee. Um, Adam is my first name. Um, I've been 
principal here for five full years now. I was an assistant principal for two years before that, and I was a history teacher for a little bit more than six years prior to that. My entire career has been at Overbrook High School. Uh, I went to Rowan University. Actually, I received an undergrad from, uh, first I went to Gloucester County College, and then when it was Gloucester County College, then I went to um, Rutgers, New Brunswick. And then after a year at Rutgers, New Brunswick, I left and went to uh, Rowan. And here I am today speaking with both of you. Welcome. Yes. Thank you for being here. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I guess I can segue right into my first question is, did you always want to have a career in education? Absolutely not. (laughs) So so this is a funny story because my, my dad was a career educator. And I think 38 years before he retired, uh, and for some people who may not know it, my dad worked at, he started his career at Overbrook as a teacher. Then he transferred to what was at the time called Edgewood. It's now Winslow Township High School. The majority of his career he spent at, at Edgewood. I went to school at Edgewood because I grew up in Atco. Uh, and then um, when the district split up, the regional district uh, split apart in 2001, And the teachers all chose where they wanted to go. My dad and a bunch of the senior teachers chose to come to Overbrook and finish out their careers here. Uh, And so he retired. And I think three or four years later, I came and and I actually ended up taking the position that he had vacated um, when when he retired. The the short story is I always said I didn't want to be a teacher because my father was a teacher. It was the whole, you know, the the only thing I loved was history. So when I went to college, I majored in history, nothing about education. And then when I was graduating, my dad was like, you should take the Praxis exam to see, you know, just to have it. You know, it's all fresh in your head. He paid for it. So I did it and I passed it. Uh, And then a couple of years later, the position came open and I was hired here actually as an alternate route teacher. Uh, So I had to go to classes every week uh, when I was beginning teaching. And I I knew that I knew Overbrook because I'd subbed here. I was a volunteer baseball coach here with my dad when he coached baseball. So I I knew the people here. I just didn't know that I wanted to be a teacher. Looking back on that point in my life, I can't believe I ever thought about not being in education. Mm. Like and, and it's so funny how when I was at Rutgers, my dad was like, when I wanted to go to Rutgers, my dad was like, why don't you just go to Rowan? and commute from home. And I was like, no, my friends are at Rutgers. I want to go to Rutgers. I went there. I was there for two months and I was like, I need to go home and go to Rowan. So (laughs) my career path, and I hate to say it, but when I look back on it, my dad was right. Like in all those different areas, my dad was like, no, you should go to Rowan. Then he was like, no, you should try education. I think you'd be good at it. Um, So that's led me, you know, led me into teaching at Overbrook. And then it just kind of, just kind of took off from there. Mm. What did you do between graduation and working at like going alternate route? So I tried to go into working for a construction company. This is actually kind of a funny story too. So I'd always, my dad has a remodeling uh, company that he in the summertime and on the weekends, that's what he would do when he wasn't teaching or coaching. So I grew up doing construction. I know how to do most things in construction. So I was like, you know what? I have a college degree. I'd be really useful on a, on a job site. Got hired by this big construction firm. The first day I was there, the, the guy was like, ah, we need you to go to McDonald's and and uh, you're going to move the sign out front. They're expanding the road and you're going to move the sign back. Well, I had never done anything like that before in my life. And I'm thinking, 
it's like a little sign, like maybe where it says enter. I get there, it's the golden arches. <laughs> and they're like, and I, I, I'm, I'm looking at this. I'm like, I don't know how to do this. And I, <laughs> I think, at the, and, he, and he was like, well, you better figure it out. And at that point, I was like, you know what? Maybe, maybe this isn't the career for me. <laughs> maybe, maybe I need to look at and use, do something where I can use my personality to some extent. <laughs> Not that construction workers don't have personalities, but hopefully you understand what I, what I mean by that. <laughs> so you didn't want to be moving golden arches for the rest of your life? Not really. Not okay. really. And, and again, and I love, you guys know, because I, I speak about it, like I love remodeling my own home. Mm. I love talking to people about construction and projects and things. Um, but my dad always used to say he would do it for two months in the summertime. And by the time the school year started again, he was like, okay, I'm, I'm ready to start teaching again. Yeah. And then at the end of the school year, he was always like, okay, I'm ready to start doing construction again, <laughs> you know? So it's nice to have, if you can have a mix of those things, it's, it's a good, it's a good luxury to have. Yeah. How have you seen education change from the time that you started to now? There are the obvious things like technology, of course, is, is so much different. Uh, and I've always been really into technology. And in the beginning, when I started to teach, they were just coming out of the like uh, the transparencies on the overhead projector phase and kind of transitioning into, all right, we're going to be able to project things on this on this big TV screen that's hanging in the corner of the classroom. Actually, the year that I left to become an assistant principal, they installed they finally installed a smart board in my classroom. So I actually never taught using a smart board. Um, but I think that definitely has changed things and and, and we're seeing it now. You know, I don't know if something like this pandemic happened 10 years ago, how would we, I'm not sure how we would have done it. You know, even though this is difficult and this isn't a perfect system, at least we have an opportunity to do it, you know? So I think technology has made everything so, so much different. Uh, and in a lot of ways, I, I hate to say it, it's, it's still pretty much the same. Um, you know, and, and I'll go back to my father again, when I got into teaching, he said, you know, they always train you up on new things. They, they, what they do is they take old things and they just call it something different, <laughs> you know, and your next professional development is just, it's the same thing, but with a different title. Right. And the other reason why I say, I think a lot of things have stayed the same is, you know, Melissa, you look at our department and the changes that we try to make with like the stories that we're reading and, and the, you know, the books that are in the curriculum and the, and the way that we run a classroom. And, and uh, you know, I saw this, I can't remember the gentleman, that I watched on YouTube, this was like five years ago, but he was talking about how education is like a, we treat it like it's a factory, right? It's, it's very based in, in, in industrialization where all the fifth graders are together and all the sixth graders are together and everybody learns English at the same time. When in reality, we know that children don't learn that way. And not every, not, not every child should be put into that same, you know, mold of the class, but yet we do that anyway, because I guess it's the most efficient way to do it. Um, so that's something that in my lifetime, I would love to see that change. I would love to see students actually have the option of choosing what they would like to study and how they would like to study it, um, rather than just putting kids together based on their aptitude or their, you know, how well they read or, you know, how good they are at math. I would love to see, I would love to see them be able to choose their path um, a little bit more because that really just, I feel like it just hasn't changed at all. Yeah, and especially at the high school level, I think that when you have kids who can take some maybe more electives that are more up their alley, or if they wanted to, like, we're really into history, maybe they could take a couple more 
history courses um, and like a college type of system and format where you can kind of pick what you will have that interest in. Sure. And that's the lure of a vocational school for some students, mm. you know, and, and we have a vocational school right down the street and some students choose to go there. And, and I understand why some students want to go there. You know, if, if I, if I, if I want to learn a trade and I want to learn it now, uh, there's nothing wrong with choosing that option, going, learning that trade, and then starting to make money sooner than you right. would if you stayed in a traditional high school. So, you know, that's, that's the lure. Unfortunately, tr traditional high schools like Overbrook, we have a hard time offering that stuff because we have to offer everything else, right. you know? And uh, so it makes it a little bit more difficult for us. As you know, Melissa and I started this podcast kind of coming off of the, the resurgence of the Black Lives Matter movement and just trying to find ways to start the discussion in the building with staff. And hopefully, you know, when we get back, it helps people feel a little more comfortable coming back to school and students reaching out to us saying they've loved listening to the podcast as well. Um, so what are, I guess I'm trying to figure out how to word it. What supports or um, advice would you give to teachers? Because that's been a big thing or a big topic coming out of this is teachers saying they either don't know how to have conversations with their students, what should they do? Um, they feel as though maybe they can't talk to the kids about it because they can't personally relate. So what would be your advice to those teachers? Well, first, I want, I want to thank both of you for doing this because you are you, you become that voice for us, for the school. And you've, you've already crushed a lot of topics in your previous episodes that wouldn't necessarily have been brought up, particularly brought up in a public forum like you're doing, where you're sharing it online for people to hear. Uh, and it's something that I know that our kids will respect uh, to a great degree, because this is something that they've been clamoring for. This is something that we've all been clamoring for. Uh, so having said that, when you talk about the advice that I would give teachers, I think it's different for everyone. I think everyone's situation is completely different. If I were teaching in the classroom, for me, my my greatest asset, what I taught, was to be honest about who I am and my experiences in life and how that's made me who I am. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I taught sociology and we had curriculum, we had a textbook, and, but sociology is very heavy in like cultural differences and, and, you know, and, and things of that nature. And so we always had great conversations regarding how I came up, maybe how they came up, even, you know, the food that they ate and the, and the way that, you know, my family cooked or the way that we celebrated holidays and birthdays and everything else. So I think it's important for people to be honest about who they are, but, but not to try and be someone that they're not. Mm. And that's the mistake that I think people fall into more times than not is by saying, I get it. I understand. I understand. Well, no, you, you really don't understand. <laughs> like that's, I, I, I've had that conversation with multiple students in my office as a principal where really serious things have happened, whether we're talking about protesting, um, you know, because of a police shooting or, or, you know, whatever, or something happened in our school where students are coming to meet event about, discrimination or, or race or, you know, whatever, whatever the topic may be. What I always say to the students is I I'm listening to you. 
I can hear what you're saying to me. I can see how frustrated you are, but I'm not, I can never tell you that I understand what you're going through because I, I can't, I'm white. I've been white for 38 years. <laughs> That's not, it's not changing. I was raised in a white household. I grew up in ACO, which is primarily white. I think there were two African-American students that I went to elementary school with. Mm. Uh, I didn't really, I didn't really understand what diversity was until I went to Edgewood, which was extremely diverse. And the, the thing I love about working at Overbrook is that, is that it reminds me of that diverse high school experience that I grew up in mm. and where it's not, it's not clicky. It's not, you know, the white kids hang out with the black kids, hang out with the Hispanic students. It's not, there's no, there's, there are, there are always, there are always some boundaries. We know that, right. but, but they, they seem like those boundaries are a little bit more dull at some place like Overbrook or at Edgewood where I went to school. Um, so I, I think my advice for people is just stay true to yourself. And if you're uncomfortable having the conversation, but you think that you need to have the conversation, then they should reach out to people like you to talk to you and get resources. You know, I've seen so many teachers talking about the resources that they're, you know, the, the books that they're reading or the things that they're reading on Twitter um, and trying to keep themselves kind of abreast of, of like all these different things that are happening and how to handle and how to talk about it. And I think that's great. That is great. But the other thing you have to remind yourself is all those people are writing from a particular perspective too. Right. And you have to think about what your perspective is on it. And that's why I say, I think being honest about it, um, sen sensitively <laughs> honest, because we know some people have some really out there perspectives. Right. Um, but I, I think you have to be true to yourself. You have to be honest about, you know, what, what exact, how it is you feel, how you, how you came up, how you grew up. Because if you're not, if you're fake, students, adults, people see right through that in, in two seconds. Yeah, absolutely. Um, another topic we've discussed on the podcast so far, I think we really spoke about it more with Kareem Fisher and Alaya Braxton. We were discussing how having the diverse student body, but not necessarily a staff that reflects the diverse student body, um, so what are some difficulties you've seen in hiring? Um, so how long have we been recording? Cause I knew this question was going to come up. I just, I just didn't know. I didn't know how quickly we would get to it. Um, well, 17 I, minutes. 17 minutes. <laughs> so, so here's, I will, I will tell you where I stand and I, and where most of my colleagues, whether um, well, all my colleagues here at the high school feel this way. And I, and when I speak with other principals, uh, they, they feel the same way as well. It is a top priority for me to hire more minority staff members, mm -hmm. um, more more staff members who can relate to more of our students. You know, most recently, we've hired a couple staff members who are bilingual who will be starting this year, which I think is a really good thing for our, our Hispanic students. Um, there, we've I'm trying to think of the numbers of, of different. I think there are there's at least two two more african-american uh staff members that we hired this summer and the hard here's the hard part the hard part is that it's hard to hire anyone in education in new jersey right now right so you know i get it i get a stack of resumes and when i say a stack sometimes it's two resumes <laughs> right it's really and we're laughing but it's really stressful because you know, as a principal, and this is my fifth year, we've had a lot of turnover in these five years that I've been the principal. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the people that we've hired have been phenomenal 
hires and have really changed the the culture and the and the um, the feeling here at Overbrook. And but it's it becomes every year I feel like it's getting harder and harder and harder to find those really solid people who can come in here and be great mentors to our kids, mm. but can also teach them the content. Right? We can't forget about that. That's important. And out of that stack of resumes that I get, the number of African American candidates is 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 below one on average. Wow. It just and and I, I remember I had a conversation last year with a reporter actually. We had uh, the veteran uh, who had graduated um, with us last year. Yeah. And so they were doing all these interviews and stuff and 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 she was asking me about, you know, our, the makeup of our staff and I said, "Well, unfortunately, I said most of our staff is is white. Most of our staff is Caucasian." And it makes it really hard um, when we have such a diverse student population to relate to some of our students and their lives and, and their struggles and where they come from. And she and she said, well, just hire more black teachers. And I said, no, it's that easy, Mr. Lee. Come on. And I said, well, I, I would love to. And I would love to find I would love to find a way to like there to the only thing I've seen so far is is Rowan University at least two years ago, they were doing it. They seemed to me to doing, they, they seem to be creating a program where that was their sole purpose was like creating uh, African-American educators to go out into the workforce in New Jersey. But outside of that, I really haven't seen any other initiatives right. that have focused solely on that purpose. And I think that's, that's pretty important. You know, it's something that we should be focusing on because it's just, they're the candidate pool. They're, they're just, they're not there. Right. You know? mm. It's, I was thinking, like, remember when, so we had had an episode with Alexis's neighbor, Tamira, who's also an educator. And remember, she was saying, like, she teaches in Camden, like, but, and she said her staff is very diverse. So I'm just like, is it because that those staff members maybe grew up in Camden and feel more comfortable applying to schools? like that they went to whereas we feel more comfortable it could i I don't know it could be a myriad of reasons i mean they could camden could have an outreach program because camden is such a large district as well you know can a lot of large districts have have different outreach programs and and diversity job fairs and and different things of that nature where as a smaller district i'm not saying that we couldn't do it um but it's certainly more difficult to do when you're when you don't have that large uh, population or budget Right. You know, and that's, you know, so I, I've attended job fairs at, that colleges have held, um, but but it's still, it's, it's very difficult. It's very, very difficult. Yeah. yeah. Well, that can lead right into my next question, which is um, how can we encourage students in a district like ours to seek careers in education? Because I feel like I don't know. I feel like our students are always like, oh, I don't want to be a teacher. They brush it off so easily. And it's like, well, there's so much more in education than just being a teacher. You could be a guidance counselor. You can be a principal. You could go into so many different areas of education. And I think a lot of our students just are like pass that over so easily. And I think a lot of them would be great at it, but I just think that they don't even consider doing it. Yeah. And I, and I think that, you know, there are clubs that are available nationally. I, I can't remember the name off the top of my head. It was like future teachers or something, you know, different things that we could do, um, you know, when we're allowed to meet again with clubs and students after school, <laughs> there are different things that we can do, um, you know, to try and, and create 
uh, that that spark and that interest in our students. Uh, but it's also really tough. How many students that you speak to here know what they want to do? Yeah, not many. Not many. You know, it's 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 a it's a um, you know, they they don't students don't normally make up their mind until they're they're getting ready to to leave college. And even then, the number of students I talk to who are like, hey, I went to college for biology. And I switched halfway through and now I'm a, a theater major. And I'm like, what? You know, <laughs> I guess your your interest changed so much after high school. Um, so it's 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 difficult. But I here here's here's the probably the best way for me thinking just now off the top of my head is the relationships that those students are going to build with you all as the teaching staff. Mm-hmm. And and the the better our teaching staff is, the more caring our teaching staff is that translates through to the students. And I think I know that we're seeing that much more at Overbrook with PBIS and everything that we've done um, over the last couple of years. It's, you know, the the more they see really good teachers, they want to aspire to be really good teachers, you know? Yeah. They don't think it now, it may come up later, you know, later in life. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I, I used to want to be a pediatrician when I was younger, like until sixth grade. And I realized like, oh, there's like a lot of math involved in that. And like that I literally <laughs> can barely add. Um, like, seriously, though. Um, I what? I wanted to be a zookeeper. Oh, nice. <laughs> and I'm allergic, was... I'm allergic to all animals. <laughs> so career, not really a smart career choice. yeah but then so like seventh grade came and I had a really like probably the best English teacher I've ever had Mrs. Ida I will never forget her and she just inspired me and my friends and I had her together we're still friends we're just talking about it yesterday like remember Mrs. Ida and we're talking about like all the cool projects she did and everything we're like she was just like a great teacher and I think looking back like she's probably what inspired me to be like okay well pediatrician's not going to work because I can't add but I can definitely read a book and that what she was doing in the classroom was so innovative and fun and I always wanted to go to her class yeah my my I had two teachers from high school Mr. Blair Actually, he was a junior high uh, teacher. He was eighth grade science teacher. Phenomenal, phenomenal teacher. I used to go into school an hour early. And, and God bless this man. He used to put up with me sitting there with him every day an hour early. And like we would, you know, do experiments and use the Bunsen burner and like, you know, all this stuff that an eighth grade boy would, you know, love to get his hands on. Um, and so he was he was really influential for me. And then my high school theater teacher, um, Mrs. Triplow. Uh, was the most influential teacher that I had uh, by far, who I still speak with. And I've, you know, I, I talk to, uh, but I, I often think about how she would handle things and, and how she would speak with the students. And that, that I didn't want to be a teacher right after I graduated college. But once I began teaching, I was like, that's her influence on me and who I became really led me to, to become a good teacher. Um, so, you know, it, it is, it's, I think really do it. It's just relationships you have with your teachers for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so what do you think are steps that teachers or schools can start to take now to continue to support diversity and that open communication and building those important relationships with the students? We have to talk about it. You can't, you, you know, what happens with all these things that come in the news? Right. It's already go, it's already going away. Like mm-hmm. if you look at the news cycle, 
and I and I and I've been telling myself like I, I'm not watching the news anymore. Like I'll listen to NPR for the national news and the local news. It's very much like bop, 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 you know, like everything is just kind of like this is the news. Right. Then NPR gets very liberal about things um, to the point where it's like, yeah, I, I, it's just too slanted. You know what I mean? So I just want to hear the news. But if you look at the news cycle, it is, it's already away. It's already going away from, from, from anything racially related. Right. It's already moving towards the election. Uh, it's back full force with COVID-19. And the big story now is kids going back to school and you all coming back and teaching them. Um, you know, that's, that's become the new sexy story uh, for the news. And so what happens and we see it over and over again, these things happen and then they fade away. Mm. And then the next, you know, African-American man who's killed unjustly by a police officer happens. And then that's the new story for two and a half months. And then it fades away. Right. If from where I sit in my position as a principal, we need to make sure that we do things that systemically change how we teach in the classroom and how we have these conversations with our students and history history social studies is a great way to do it alexis yeah, um, it certainly lends itself to that mm -hmm. uh english is same so, you know same thing i mean english and literature lends itself to that you know your your two subject areas are are probably the two subject areas that line up the best with having those conversations with the students and it's about we were having a conversation about textbooks earlier. It's a whole thing. I'm not going to get into it now. We need we need we need new closet space for some textbooks. There's all kinds of big changes physically that have happened down in that hallway. And I'm looking at these textbooks. The history, are, yeah, history textbooks. And they're just it's the same cookie cutter stuff. Like if I were teaching history right now, I wouldn't use a textbook. No. I wouldn't use a textbook. You probably don't use a textbook. You, I mean, and and I haven't used the textbook in any of my years because it's not relevant. It's not. It's not relevant. And and I and if you bought a new textbook, it still wouldn't be relevant. Right. <laughs> because the world that we live in changes so frequently, they couldn't possibly update a textbook that frequently. Um. You know, it's it's that's we need to keep it on the we need to keep it the topic of conversation alive and in education i really feel like through curriculum we do that through changing the curriculum through changing the things that we read about uh the conversations that we have with students that's how we keep it going i feel like that's our job as educators mm -hmm. uh, you know it's it's not just it'll fade away and it fades away for everyone too you know and it's, it's not just you know again me 38 year old white male it's very easy for me if I'm not watching this on the news to just be like, okay, you know what, that's over. You know, oh, that's a shame. That's a shame that happened to that guy. But, you know, we're past it now. We talked about it. It's very easy for everyone to do that. Right. And we can't allow that to happen. Mm -hmm. You know, I, when and I could go on and on about privilege and, and everything. I could keep going with this with this question, but I'll, I'll I'm sure you guys have questions you want to go through. So no, you can keep going with that. <laughs> Oh, I try to get out of it. Um, but I think that's what some teachers are like going back to that question about the advice that you could, that you gave was because I think teachers know for our students, they're not putting this like, Oh, well, it's not on the news. It's not really, they're probably coming into school in three and a half ish weeks saying, 
okay, well, let's talk about it. Or like, it's not done for them. So yeah. And, um, and, and that's good. And it should be, it's, it's still one of the most important conversations that we need to have with our students and with each other, <laughs> staff members talking about it and having healthy discourse mm-hmm. and healthy debate about it. I think that's just as important as us talking to the students about it because we need to be on the same page right. when we're having those conversations with students, you know? Um, well, I don't know if you remember, I sent out that email about the book club and this, we were reading the book stamped the remix yeah. uh, and Heidi had sent it out to the whole entire district. And it was probably end of July. We did a Google meet and it was probably like 17, 18 people that were across the district from, elementary to middle school teachers that were on it and we were talking about how it was so nice to just sit and talk to each other about the book and all the topics the book brought up but also how we could use parts of the book in our classroom and how we can have those conversations so it was like a little professional development for ourselves and kind of all being on the same page of how to have those conversations and an elementary school teacher asked, you know, should I be doing something like this too? Or I don't know. And we were like, yeah, "Yeah," because then when they get to the high school, it's not some crazy thing like, oh, wow, I get to talk about these things. It should be normal um, for them. So I think definitely I agree that staff having those conversations is just as important as having the conversations with our students. And the, and the important thing too, because I, in my position as principal, I've seen this happen both ways. I've seen the majority of the staff that have these great conversations with students. And there's a there have been times where staff members have crossed lines and angered students uh, or angered parents uh, because of the way that they approach things. And so by having conversations between staff members, you, you iron out those kinks before you ever even get into the classroom, right? You know what those hot buttons are. You you know you know the the lines that probably shouldn't be crossed. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's unrealistic for me to say, okay, look, Alexis, if you're going to have this conversation in your classroom, I'm going to need you to come and talk to me in my office. We're going to have a 20 minute meeting. Number one, you neither one of us has the time to do that. Right. And it's not. It's that would be a directive. That would that and and that's no way for me to lead the conversation is to say you can say this you can't say this you can say this you can't say this right and there are some people though who will say i can't have the conversation Mm. unless you tell me what i can and can't say and my answer to them would be well then you can't you can't have the conversation because i i can't i can't predict what everything is going to happen in the classroom either right now if somebody comes to me for advice as a as a former teacher and as the, the building leader, then I'll certainly give you the best advice I could possibly give you, you know, but I won't shy away from that. But at the same time, I, I, w- I don't want to have to police that conversation. Right. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it definitely makes sense. Um, and I think that was that we, I think we talked about this with um, Dominique Carlucci when she was on the podcast and we were talking about, you know, it's not a conversation that we, you know, Melissa and I were saying how we don't jump into it right at on the first day of school. It's building the relationship with your kids. And if you need to someone to tell you like, hey, this is the script, this is what you say, then maybe that's not the class that you have that conversation. No. 
then you then you don't then you don't know enough and you're not comfortable enough with the material. It's no different than teaching a subject matter. You know, if right. you have to teach everything right from the book or right from a written script, you shouldn't be teaching that that material. You know, and it goes with that honesty piece. Like if a student brings it up, it could be I'm honestly I'm not as educated or well versed on the topic. Um, we can learn it together or let me see what I can find to help you. And I think that's where then turning to you for advice of this student one or this class wants to discuss this. Do you have resources or something I could use? Um, or not even just you, Mr. Lee, but to any other teacher sure. and sharing those resources throughout this building. And you have to, and I think the other important thing is, it's being honest with your students, but you also have to be a good moderator of the conversation, mm -hmm. right? You need to know those lines. You need to know your students, which is the point that you touched on, which I think is, is, is really, um, a really smart point is that, you know, I, I, I'll take it back to when I, when I taught, you know, all the rows, all my desks were in perfect rows for the first marking period of the year. Mm -hmm. I signed their seats. I know exactly where everybody was, what their, what their, you know, what the things were that bothered them the most. Right. And then after the first marking period, if I felt like I could get away with it, then I would change their seats. Right. You know, then we would start to have deeper conversations about things if I knew that they were mature or not. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's no different. You know, you, ha you have to be a good manager of the classroom to have a conversation that's deeper and to trust your students. Your students need to respect you and, and your, I don't want to say authority in the classroom, but respect your respect for them, if that makes sense. You know, like they have to know that like you, you got their back and they feel comfortable enough to have those conversations. And uh, that's all extremely important. Mm -hmm. I said some crazy, listen, I never crossed the line, but I will tell you that my students who had me knew way more about my life <laughs> than some people who are, who are closer to me than my students. Like we would just, because it's endearing though. I mean, that's when students, they, they want to know you as a person. Right. They don't, they don't want to know you as just a, oh, there's Miss Perez, the English teacher. Like, no, it's like, Hey, there's, there's Perez, you know, there's mm -hmm. Perez and, and, you know, they know your background. They know where you come from. I don't know if they know you worked at a bakery, but that's something I, think I, I do I, usually tell them. That's something I found interesting about, about you know, just like little, little things like that, that, that draws you closer to your kids. You have to have that comfort zone with your kids to have that conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I think even like having pictures, like the pictures I think that I have in my classroom, like that helps too, because the kids are like, Oh, okay, well, on the first day of school, like one of the things that I do is like, they get to know me and they look around my room and they have to decide like who I am just from looking around my classroom. And like those pictures are always something that I always write down. Like, Oh, she cares about her students or she likes it. Like, had memories around the classroom. You're like, yeah, that's true. That is true. And right. it just shows something else about you. Or like Ben Simmons is all over my classroom, you know, like, yes. You're I'm now tagging. Are. You're now, I hope he's recovering in his hospital bed, listening to these episodes. Cause you're now tagging, you're tagging him and uh, what's his name? <laughs> yeah. And Matisse and, and you're tagging them. They're in the bubble. They're trying to concentrate on basketball. Stop tagging them and talking with teachers. They have plenty of time. Well, Ben now has plenty of time, yes. Unfortunately. Matisse is busy with his vlogs, but Ben mm. has a lot of time. So funny. Yeah. I, you know, and, and again, it's that it's that line that you have to strike. At, at one point, you talk about the pictures, and this is funny. I had a picture behind my desk. It was me and, and my girlfriend at the time. And this, this boy came up and goes, yo, Mr. Lee, he goes, your jaw is hot. 
<laughs> and I was like, all right, taking that picture down. Like, that's it. We're done. Mm-hmm. No you, don't, you don't know anything else about her. Yeah. When I first started teaching, I had a MySpace account. <laughs> okay. That shows you how long ago that was. You, you two are probably like, what's MySpace? No, I had one in like, I won't tell you that great I was yeah. in when I had yeah, exactly. one. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, so I had, but I will say I was always on the cutting edge of technology. So I had a MySpace <laughs> account and I came into, I was coaching baseball and I came into the locker room one day and there were my picture from my MySpace account. They printed it out and, and taped it all over the inside of the locker room and compared me. It was like the original meme compared me to like this, this wrestler called Butterbean, like this big, bald, <laughs> this big giant bald wrestler. And I was like, all right, time to delete the MySpace. <laughs> Lesson learned. <laughs> it is true, though. As much as we have those conversations with the kids, we also have to remember, like, they're still teenagers. Like, yeah. you're not having a conversation with an adult. And I think even sometimes when I have conversations with them, I'm like, all right, wait a second. You guys are still, like, teenagers. Like, I need to have that conversation with you not as like an adult right now or like even reflect on myself like okay well that's why they said that because they are teenagers yeah the the the, the longer and the longer you do it the longer we the longer you're in the classroom and in the profession the easier you don't even have to think about that line it just comes completely naturally You, you know you 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 just you never have to think about oh should i have said that should i not have said that like it it's always just it just becomes a natural thing Mm. The one thing I didn't like about my position moving into the position of principal, assistant principal and principal, was that that line for me moved even further. Mm. You know, like there are things that I would have said to them as teacher where I never would say to them as a principal. Maybe a little bit, maybe a little bit now that I'm more comfortable in in my position and I have a better relationship with the kids. Um, But it's still it's still different. I I miss that greatly about the classroom, Mm -hmm. you know. Like if it, my kids would come in and be like, oh, Mr. Lee, you having a bad morning? I'd be like, oh, yeah, guys, bad morning. And they'd be like, all right, we got you, Mr. Lee. Like, <laughs> There's no, Mr. Andy's not saying that to me when I come in. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, sure, Mr. Andy. Like no no one is looking at me in the eye and saying, oh, are you having a bad morning? It's more like this. We need this. We need this. We need this. There's five teachers out. There's no subs. You know, like it's just a, it's different, you know? Or Ms. Randy's noticing you're having a bad day and then just pushing your buttons on purpose. That's more than likely that's what happens. Yeah. <laughs> it's like blood in the water, man. <laughs> Absolutely. He sees that. It's like, all right, time to pounce. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's waiting for it. Waiting for it. He's probably standing outside my door right now waiting for it. <laughs> Hi, Miss Randy. <laughs> My next question is, what do you look for when hiring someone new? Oh, wow. That's a that's a loaded it's a loaded question. It's a it's a detailed answer because there, there are a lot of things that we look for. Uh, I would say I would say above all, um, we look for someone's personality, how they interact with us in an interview. Uh, normally, the people that we bring in the interview when you're talking about their educational background, we already know that, right? That's how we choose. That's a lot of times. That's how you choose a resume. Um, you look at what they've done. Uh, I love people who have experience in education. And when I say experience, I don't mean, oh, I've been a teacher for eight years at this school and I'm, I'm looking to make a move. What I mean is that even if you're, even if you've never taught before, the only thing, student teaching should not be the only thing on your resume, right? 
you should have worked at summer camps, been a substitute teacher, been a been a soccer coach, you know, whatever, um, whatever other things you could do to work with kids prior to interviewing or prior to applying for a job in education is a is a smart, smart thing. Because that's look, all the applications, they all have college degrees. Right. Okay. And I'm not looking at the college degrees and saying, hey, look, this this person's from Rowan, but this person's from TCNJ. And so TCNJ wins. No, I'm not I'm not I'm not doing that. And I would and I would venture to guess that no principals are doing that. Uh, I think people just want to see someone who's kind of immersing themselves in education. Like I said, I was an alternate route teacher, but I was a substitute. I was a coach. Yeah. I had all these other reasons for Mr. Harmon, the principal at the time, to hi- to want to hire me. Mm-hmm. You know, he knew that I knew Overbrook. I knew the kids. I put some time in here, you know, working here. And those things are uh, those things are really important. That's why I just it blows my mind that we don't have substitutes. Yeah. Uh, because when I subbed, it was sort of like a. It wasn't always easy to get work as a sub. Like, I got work because Miss Presley at the time was the coordinator. And my dad worked here. Right. And I would be asleep in the basement in my room at my parents' house. And my dad would come downstairs at 6 a.m. and go, hey, get up. You're working today. <laughs> no questions asked. And I'm like, oh, my God. And I'd get up and go to work. But that back then, that's how it was. Today, it's like, you guys know. It's hard. It's just so hard to find a sub. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then once you get past that resume phase, it's about, you know, in the actual interview, trying to get a read on their personality, trying to get a read on who they are, and are they going to mesh well with our student population? Mm-hmm. And to some extent, with our staff, you know, what's the, what's their background? What do they represent? Where do they come from? Right. Um, you know, where, where does it seem like they're going? Uh, and, you know, you always have some people who sell you a bill of goods and, and they, they don't turn out to be who you thought they were. Uh, but I think more times than not, if you hire good people, good, like hardworking people, they have the college degree, they have the certification, they've taken the test, they've done all that. Um, if they're hard workers, they're good people and they're willing to learn, then you're going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't want to hire a know-it-all. I don't think anybody mm-hmm. does. No. no. No, thanks. No. Mm-hmm. no, you just, you want somebody to come in and say, listen, I'm new here. Teach me. I, I need to know, you know, mm-hmm. I need to know. So. Yeah. And segueing right from that, what advice do you have for any new teachers? Don't get on my bad side. <laughs> no, just kidding. I'm joking. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I have a lot of advice for new teachers. I have a ton of advice for new teachers. My first piece of advice would be don't worry about making these ridiculously awesome lessons until you know how to manage your own classroom. More times than not with new teachers, that's what I say. They're so caught up in thinking they have to do something to entertain the students on a daily basis and and get them roped in right away that they forget about the structure and the things that need to happen so that you can do those different lessons. Like I'm, I'm sitting here talking to the two of you and, and, and thinking about what you two do in the classroom. You're able to do that because you have the mutual respect with the students and your classrooms are well run. I've never walked into one of your rooms where it was, you know, it was out of control. Never felt that way. Anyway, you might've felt that way, but it never felt that way to me. 
you know? Organized chaos. <laughs> but I know, yeah, that's right, organized chaos. But that's okay if it's organized and you can you can control it, you know? So my biggest piece of advice would be work on building relationships and the structure of your classroom before you try to be the world's greatest teacher. Mm. You know, I, I see that problem a lot. The second advice is take advice. Listen to the other teachers in your department. Listen to your supervisor. Listen to the principal. Listen when people when people are giving you advice or telling you like, "Hey, you shouldn't you shouldn't do that." Like I, I, I so many times teachers come to me and they're like, "Adam, I told her," or "I to, I told him, I flat out told him this two months ago." Like, don't do this. And I'm like, look, you can lead a horse to water. Can't make a drink, right? Like, you, there's only so much you can do. So that's that's a big thing. You have to listen to the people around you, the people who are there and who have been successful. Mm-hmm. Um, it's always really important for me to, to set up our teach our new teachers with good mentors, mm-hmm. with people who I trust yeah. um, that are doing the right thing uh, for their in the classroom and, and just in the school. You can be... What's my line? You can be a really great teacher and a really bad employee, mm. right? The two, the two are, are different, right? You can be a really great teacher to your kids. You can get along really well with your kids, but if you don't, if you're not a good employee, right? If you, if you come in late all the time, if you're sneaking out of the building early, if you're always going to your supervisor or, or me as the principal and saying, Hey, I need to leave for this, or I need to leave for that. At the end of the day, sometimes it doesn't matter how good you are in the classroom if that person knows they can't rely on you long term mm-hmm. on a daily basis. So that's another piece of advice for, for newer teachers is like it, you have to be you have to be a good employee. I would even say first mm-hmm. you have to be a good employee first work on being, you know, g- gaining that mutual respect in the classroom with the students, managing the classroom and then everything else will will everything else will come from that. You know, it's a progression. Nobody, nobody becomes a, a great teacher in a year, two years, three years, four. I don't even think four. I think it takes, I think it takes at least four to five years before you really understand your craft, your students, and what you need to do on a daily basis. And same in our positions too. Same for administration. Like for me, my first year as principal was awful. Was all I? I, I mean, I was I was a terrible, terrible principal. And it's because I didn't understand the position. Not many people would if you've never done it before. I didn't understand how to, I thought being an assistant, an assistant principal would help me become a principal. Completely different. It's not even close to being the same. Uh, and so I, I learned, you know, I learned, <laughs> I learned the hard way, like I think most people do. But it's no different. It's no different when you're a first year teacher. It's the same thing. You, you have to take your bruises and, and, uh, and learn from them and do something differently. And not, yeah. not continue to try to do the same thing over and over and over again, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And recognize like, okay, I made a mistake or I didn't do that great, but I can fix it. Or admitting that you messed up. I think admitting, it's just. Right. Apologize to kids. Yeah. I, I mean, I can't tell me how many times I've had meetings with teachers and I'm like, if you just said to this student, I'm sorry I said that, or I'm sorry I did that. Or if you said to their parent when their parent called angry, I'm really sorry that you took that the wrong way. Mm-hmm. That's all people want to hear. Right. Really, just just take responsibility for your actions. Just apologize for things that you, you've done wrong 
if everybody in the room is telling you you did this wrong, um, then you probably did it wrong. <laughs> you know, like even if you thought it was right, you probably did it wrong. So just own it. Right. The so same thing we try to teach kids when they get in trouble when they're down in the office. Just own it, dude. You did it. Just say, Mr. Lee, I'm sorry I did that, and I'm like, you know, it's not going to happen again. Right. Okay. Um. So thank you, Mr. Lee, for coming on to our episode. Thank you, guys. Seriously, um, I, I mean it. What you're doing is so awesome. Questions. Your your questions were really good in every situation, and you let people talk and just you let you just listen and, and let people give their perspective on things, and that's that's where your show is is worth its weight in gold. Your podcast is worth your weight in gold because it just gives people a voice to talk about it. Then other people hear that and they're going to feel comfortable to talk about it when we get back to school. And that's why I just want everybody to to hear it if we can, you know.